Our scripture lesson today comes from the good gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Uh, at the end, uh, on Matthew 9, 38, it says, on your knees, pray for harvest hands. And so I invite you, uh, when you see your clock hit 9, 38, to pray with me for God to bring more workers uh, to serve our hurting world. Uh, both paid folks and volunteer folks and just more people engaged in Christ's mission. Amen? Amen. So let's share in God's good word together. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Is it possible to be like Jesus? Can we actually have the character of God? I think we can. I really do think it's possible. Jesus has shown us how in the walk. That's what this sermon series is all about. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see Jesus doing things like worship, which was week one, and pray and study, which was week two. And on the last night of Jesus' life, we see him wash feet. Pick up a towel and a basin and wash feet and serve dinner. My name is Mark Foster, and I'm the founding and senior minister here at Acts 2. And our goal is to learn to be like Jesus. Uh, When you join the church, chances are that I said something like this to you. We have one question here at Acts 2, and that is, do you want to follow Jesus? That's it. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to live like him, be like him, serve like him, bless others like Jesus. And when others in the world shrink or shirk, we serve. When others don't or won't, we show up. We step up and we serve in Jesus' name. That's when Christianity really shines. So let's get started. In your sermon notes, you have uh, how to help. That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, And so in this season, people often want to know, well, what is it really when you say you're a Methodist? What does that mean? Uh, What kind of Methodist are you? Well, when John Wesley talked about Methodism, he said that we had three general rules. And the first is to do no harm. Will you say that with me? Do no harm. And so here's the thing. The first thing is is when when we're about to do something uh, or think something or post something online, uh, we think to ourselves, is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Might it harm someone? And so our first rule is, say it again with me, do no harm. So um, we are um, a people who gather and worship together, 
But because you're worshiping with uh, more than 100 people today, um, it would not be kind for you to go from here and go visit a sick grandma or an immunosuppressed person because you've been with other people. Does this make sense to you? So it's okay that we gather. We're young. We're healthy. We gather in small groups of um, you know, less than 200 for the most part in three different services. But we would not then want to go, uh, like for myself, my parents are 80 and 85. Uh, I'm not headed over to Epworth Villa and, and trying to break in because they're, they're not allowed to have visitors right now, right? Nursing homes don't allow that. So that wouldn't be kind. Does this make sense to you? So, so we do what we do, but our first rule as Methodists is to do no harm. The second thing, uh, which is what you're a part of right now, is to do good by acts of what John Wesley would call vital piety, worship. Uh, each and every week we gather and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, things like communion, prayer, study, fasting, uh, attending on all the ordinances of God is how John Wesley would put it. And then finally, what we come to today are what John Wesley would call uh, good acts of mercy. Will you say that with me? Do good acts of mercy. These are the three general rules of Methodism. So anybody wants to know what does it mean to be Methodist? That's it. Do no harm. Do good in two different ways. By your worship, study, prayer, fasting, the sort of churchy stuff. Um, and then also the acts of mercy. Also churchy stuff. Right? Going and, and visiting those who are sick or in prison. Helping um, being the light of the world. So the first two weeks of this series, we looked at worship and prayer and study. So worship and prayer kind of went together at week one. Brandon took us through study last week uh, as our uh, minister of discipleship. And, and so we hope that you'll get plugged in in one of those ways. But today, we focus on this third rule of our faith, which is serving others. Now, here's the thing. Uh, my dad used to love this phrase, uh, that he knew people who were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. You know, they would just hang out in those first two weeks of worship and prayer and study, but it never seemed to translate into the world, into bringing heaven to earth. Now, to be fair, I've also known some social activists um, that would kind of go do things without thinking much, or certainly how it was directed by their faith, and that can also uh, lack some things to be desired. And so we, re- we need to marry these two things, both our service and our vital piety, um, Knowledge and vital pie, these things so uh, often get separated, but we need to bring them together, our founder would say. So when we look at serving others, and these words, serve, service, serving, servant in the Bible, it appears more than a thousand times. Now that's huge for the Bible, uh, because as you know, uh, there are some things in the Bible that only appear once. Um, And this was really freeing to me. My mentor, Dallas Willard, in 2009, he said to our class, he said, if it only shows up in the Bible once, you don't really need to worry about it uh, because it's, it's a one-off. Um, there are multiple authors, and uh, when God speaks, God is consistent in God's speech. And so certainly if it's there three times, uh, or certainly if Jesus says it three times, we're supposed to pay attention. This is the really big stuff, right? So lost sheep, lost coin, lost son of Luke 15, right? We're not supposed to miss that. So imagine if we're supposed to pay attention at three times, imagine a thousand times. This is the core of who we are. This is where we have to get on page and live into this. This is really important stuff, uh, more important than a lot of the things the church has talked about over the last century or so. This is the heart of who we are. And when I was in uh, Minko, which is the place that I served before I served here, I had a lady in that church whom I loved, uh, and she would come up to me and she would say after every service, Pastor Mark, 
That was a great sermon. I sure wish my husband was here to hear it. It was perfect for him. None of my sermons were ever for her. Always for her husband who did not attend. So let me make really clear, friends. This sermon is for you. It's not for the people on the live stream. Well, it is, but we're not live streaming the service. Um, You know, this is for you. Because if it's not for us, it doesn't make any difference. So here's the thing. We are the servants of God. You and me. It's not paid clergy somewhere else. It's not volunteers. It's not those things. It may be those things as well. But it's first of all us. This sermon only works if it's for us. If we understand that we are the servants of God. Each and every one of us. Made in God's image. Um, Adam Hamilton in the book that many of you are working through in your small groups says this. God's primary mode of working in the world is through people. Will you say that with me? God's primary mode of working in the world is through people, ordinary people like you and me. And that's what changed the world. People looked at the disciples, fishermen and tax collectors, and it changed the world. They're like, these are just regular people. How are they doing these things? How are they doing this? Through the power of Christ living in and through his people. Now, when I come to these sermons, when I ask you all um, to serve uh, or to give, um, these things that... Uh, many of you do already and do very well, um, but sometimes, and I, this is so wonderful, maybe it's because it's COVID Sunday, um, but the, the wonderful thing here, it won't be a regular thing, um, is that oftentimes when I start to preach about these sort of harder topics of serving others um, or giving, I'll start to get, particularly men of my age, kind of like this thing, I don't care what he says, I'm not giving more, I'm not helping more, like no I don't, he's not going to do it. He's going to tell me some sad story. He's going to show some puppies like, mm-mm. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not falling for it. Um, so, so here's the thing. I know you know this stuff. I mean, you do. But if we know it, why don't we do it? I mean, that's, that's the thing we really got to get to today. It's not that you don't know we're supposed to serve others. You know that. But why don't we do it? Well, in my first Bible study I'd ever led in my life, I was 28 uh, I was teaching disciple for this first time, and a lady in my Bible study uh, said this, and it just struck me. She said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I thought, wow. I really believe that truth is self-authenticating. Like when you hear it, like you just know it. I'm like, oh, man, that hurt. Because I could look back at my life, and one of the most painful moments in my life was in college when I had a good friend I'd known since elementary school reach out to me. Um, because she was just having a hard time. And uh, she, w- she called me uh, at the fraternity house when I was on phone duty. I don't know if y'all even remember what that is. But I was trying to answer all the other calls while trying to care for her at the same time. And I just couldn't do it. But I also couldn't get out of phone duty. I just, I've always felt terrible about that. I, just, I, just, I couldn't really be there because I was busy. I was busy taking the other calls. And my friend was hurting and I wasn't there for her. She's fine now. I mean, she's married, has kids. It's all good. But, um, you know, there's just this moments where you know the Lord really would have you be someplace else, but you're just busy. And, and we'd really, I, I'll speak for myself, I would really like to leave it there. Because if I, if I dig any deeper than that, what I come to realize is that we all serve somebody. And the reality in that piece for me was that I was serving myself. I was keeping myself out of trouble rather than being there for my friend. That's the reality of that situation. I chose to, you know, have an easier piece of life um, and to fulfill one responsibility over another, even though I felt the call to do otherwise. Have you ever been there? 
where you had choices to make. And, you know, we, none of us do it perfectly, but um, we all serve somebody. Now, here's, here's the thing that the, I think that the people of old um, had kind of a nice way of putting it. And that is the things they were really committed to, they called them gods. Right? If you were really committed um, to fertility and sex and all that, then you worshipped Aphrodite. If you were really committed to war, then uh, you worshipped uh, Mars or Ares or Zeus. Um, and they, they had names for the things they worshipped in ways that we don't. Because nobody likes to say, I, I worship MBA or I worship my work, um, even though we do at times. So in Joshua, he says this, now, fear the Lord and serve him. See, he understood that there were other options. Um, we know it too, we just don't put language around it. And it says, with all faithfulness, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Say it with me, serve the Lord, because there are other options. But, but we are to serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and it does at times, then choose for yourselves the same whom you will serve, because we're all going to serve somebody. We all do, each and every day. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. That's where we're to land. And I'm really appreciative of Joshua for just landing out like that. Well, yeah, your neighbors may not do what you do. And those people over there may not do what you do. But me and my household, what we're going to do, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we do. Now, um, last weekend, you may or may not know this, Chantel and I went to Wichita after church. And you say, well, why would you do that? Like, that is an odd thing to do. Well, it just so happens uh, that our son Noah uh, plays in a group called Soc- Shocker Sound Machine. He's a percussionist. And man, when he plays, he just lights up. It's like the most beautiful thing. It's like what he's made for. Um, but here's, here's the thing that, that you may or may not know about uh, ministry uh, in our times. And that is when we're in an election cycle, when we're in an election year, um, pastors' jobs get exponentially harder. People get wonky. They want the church to align with their candidate. Sometimes they want you to promote uh, or actually endorse a candidate. And, and we don't do that here. We will pray for all the candidates because Lord knows they all need our prayers. Um, but we don't, we don't endorse, we don't do that sort of thing. So, so just know that the sort of weight on your staff and the hardness of our job, it's just a lot harder uh, in 2020 uh, than it's been the last three years. Um, and then it'll be hard four years later. That's just, it happens. That's just the way it is. Trying to hold people together to say, you know what, if you're a Republican, you're welcome here. If you're a Democrat, you're welcome here. If you're a Libertarian, you're welcome here. If you're an Independent, you're welcome here. And we all put Christ first and our political ideology second. That is the way that's supposed to be, you know, by the way. Right? But it gets harder in this season. So to be as transparent as I know how to be, I was trying to take a weekend off. I was, we were going to get out of Dodge. Noah was, we were going to go up and get him, and then we we're just going to disappear. We we're just going to kind of relax and get our feet under us. And um, I forgot to talk and check in with the confirmation schedule because they had confirmation rehearsal uh, last Sunday after the last service. And so I was like, well, that's what I lead. I got to do that. It's one of my most favorite things of all the Christian year, working with the youngins. They're so cute, and they're giving their life to Jesus. It's just awesome. And so I was like, well, I can't miss that. But Noah had told us that he was going to perform. He had to show up at 3.30 because the men's basketball game, the last one of the season was at 3 o'clock, and this would be our last chance to see him do his thing. So we're like, okay, how do we do this? So we're like, okay, we'll come to church, 
But then, Noah, you take one of our cars, and then when we finish up confirmation from 1230 to 1:30, we'll burn it up there. It's about a two-hour, 15, two-hour, 30-minute drive, depending on traffic and, you know, legalities. And so, um, anyway, confirmation goes a little long. The kids have some extra questions. So we don't roll out of here till like 140. Um, and so we were going to go home and change, couldn't change. So we're driving up to Wichita, me in my full suit from Sunday, Chantel in a full dress. Uh, we know that, you know, we're going to be at least five hours in the car in our, in our clothes. And we're like, well, I guess that's what we're going to do. And we start heading up that way. And I find the basketball game on the radio and I'm listening to it. And, and it's like seven minutes left to half. And I'm thinking, foul, you guys need to foul more. You got to stop the clock. And, you know, I'm praying for fouls. I mean, I don't know if you can do that, but that's what I was doing because I wanted to see Noah do his thing. And so I'm, we're, I'm doing the time. I'm doing the mileage. I'm looking at the signs. and I'm doing the math, which is impressive for a broadcast major. And I was, I was rolling up there. And here's the thing. We got there at about 10 minutes to four with less than a minute on the clock. And Chantel hops out of the car, runs to the ticket office. I go to find a place to park. We come up there, and at the ticket office, it says, sold out. Hmm. So we go to the ticket office, and we say, look, our son's about to perform. We're not here for the game, clearly. I mean, look at us. We just drove from Oklahoma City. We just want to see him do his thing. And it's about to happen at halftime. And they say, we're not allowed to let anybody in. We went through security. We did all that. And as we're having this conversation, I hear the buzzer go off, and I look at the monitor, and the, you know, the teams are going off the court. I don't know where he's going to be in halftime, but I'm assuming it's, you know, it's not that long. And I say to the guy, well, you got to give me tickets, or I'm, we're going to miss the whole thing. And he said, that'll be $120. I'm like, it's like three minutes. And he just looks at me like, and so he looks at his supervisor, and supervisor's like, you know, so credit card, please. We throw them the credit card. Now, you know, I am cheap, right? I get like a haircut every quarter, right? Just to save money, right? You like it? Yeah, this is my quarter. This will get me to June. So <clears throat> we, I throw down the credit card. We're watching the thing. We get it. We run it. We don't even know where the, you know, where the seats are. We don't care because we're not there for the game anyway. We go and we we find, and he's coming on the court, like, wow. And some people get up to use the bathroom, suckers. We got their seats, right, because they're not going to be back in three minutes. And uh, there they are. And we sit down, and this happens. I, I would lower the lights. I mean, I want them to see this whole thing. This is awesome. He's over there. about that right yeah and I look over at Chantel she's got tears streaming down her face she looks over at me and I got tears streaming down my face because it had been so long since we'd seen him that happy just doing his thing not a care in the world everything everything in the world just floated away he gave us a fist bump
Like, yeah, we're good parents. <laughs> you know? And uh, it was just beautiful. Best 120 bucks I ever spent in my life. And um, we caught up after and went to dinner and um, you know, filled up the cars again and then started the long drive home and separately. Um, I'd, I leave my, home, my phone at home on Sundays so I won't you know, be interrupted while we do what we do here. And so we couldn't even talk on the way home because my phone was still at home. And um, a long drive back in the rain, all, you know, cold rain and just long drive. And as I, was, as I was driving back, you know, I thought, man, that was, that was such a good day. Long, hard, weird, but great day. And I thought, you know, you know, why, you know why that was great? It's because we love him. Because he belongs to us, we belong to him. We, we're family together. We love him. I mean, haven't you done that for your kids? I mean, you do anything for your kids. I mean, you know, just would. And then, I, then my mind turned to this weekend about serving and I thought to myself, you know, I think the reason we don't serve people is because we don't love them. We just don't feel the same way about other people that we feel about our own kids, about our people. And, and I'm speaking about myself. You know, why, why don't I reach out? Why don't I help? Because I, I don't love them like I love him. I don't even know them. Certainly not like I know him. And I was reminded of the words of Jesus that these are my sheep, these are my people, these are my kids, that there's not a person you lock eyes with that's not important to him. And he loves them. So we're to love them. And so I just thought, you know, rather than me just beating on us about, hey, you need to serve, you need to serve, our lack of service is really a lack of love. We've got to go love people first. We've got to get to know them. We, we, we've got to be in relationship with people that are different than we are. We just have to... Come to know who they are, what they care about, what's going on in their life. And so then when they have an issue, we'll actually do something because we love them like we love our own kids. You see, you see how this works? I can't ever push you hard enough to go do stuff you don't want to do for people you don't care about. So the first step for us is to learn to love not only one another, but the people that Jesus loves, which is all of us. So we got some loving to do. So you see, Jesus goes about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And this is where it gets interesting. He, God himself, he goes and cures every disease, every sickness, because when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. Eugene Peterson says his heart broke. I mean, when's the last time your heart broke about something? Because these people, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't even know not to charge a family 120 bucks to see their kid. Right? I mean, there was no sort of what's the right thing to do here. People are just living for themselves. Have you been on Facebook lately? Right? By the way, you should know, it's not Christian to show off your selfishness on Facebook. About how you've hoarded stuff so that the people in need can't get theirs. That would be the antithesis of Jesus. So he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Look, there's all this brokenness in the world, friends. It's the laborers who are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, meaning Jesus, to send out laborers into his harvest. We just need more more people to help. And I know many of you do. You see, Jesus served the people because he loved the people. He really loved them. He wasn't faking it. He wasn't, you know, 
doing nice things for people through gritted teeth. And neither are we. That's not what I'm calling you to do. That's not what God calls us to do. But we should reflect a little and just say, well, when's the last time your heart broke? About anything. I mean, what will really move you? I mean, are we still alive? Do we have a heartbeat? I mean, this is the time for the church to shine. So what did Jesus say about these things? God himself. He says, well, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, which is a name Jesus uses for himself, came not to be served, but to do what? Yep, you got it. And to give his life. Now, see, I think this is where the church misses it. And that's why I called the church Acts 2. When we got a choice, we called it Acts 2 because this was a time in the church's history where people got it. They knew if they said yes to Jesus, they were putting their neck on the line. Because if Rome found out, they were ended. That's who the church has to become again. In a world and a culture where Christianity is becoming smaller and smaller in the numbers of the world compared to other secularism and other religions, we again have to reclaim what it is to really be the church. Not to play at it, not to do it sometimes, not to do it when it's convenient, but to actually give our life for others. That's what Christians do. We decide that the commitment and mission of Jesus is more important than our own selfish desires and ease of life. And Jesus puts it really clearly. Whoever wishes to be great, if you really want to be great, you got to serve people. Like he did on the last night of his life. That's why we reenact it every single week here. That we never forget that the one that we worship, the one that knows the most, the smartest man to have ever lived is the one who washed feet. Of people who didn't deserve it, but because of his character. So Jesus came to earth to serve and to give his life. He could have done it however he wanted, but this is what God chose when he came to earth. And so a disciple, you and I, of Jesus, a follower, a student, an apprentice of this life, were to take on his character to do the things that he did, to serve others. Now, the Jewish community around him knew uh, the first commandment forwards and backwards, that you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and mind and strength, all of that. But then Jesus says this. He says, and a second is like it. And he's quoting from Leviticus here. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's nothing greater than these. It's really that. Love God, love others. So we are to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're like people across all time, people say, well, exactly who is that? Who exactly is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which was not what they expected. So these are Jesus' words on the matter. But what is the witness of the church? See, the early church, they didn't have the scriptures we have. That didn't come around until 325 of the Council of Nicaea. What they had was what we would call the Old Testament. And this is the scripture they would know. God has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to, say it with me, Love, kindness, that's what we're talking about. It's that compassion. And to walk humbly with your God. This is what God has said across time. And sociologist Rodney Stark argues that one of the primary reasons that Christianity went from this tiny little Jewish sect to an explosion of the majority population by 300 was because of the way Christians cared for the sick and the poor when no one else would. This is actually a bust of Marcus Aurelius. He ruled um, in A.D. 165 during a pandemic. And then in their pandemic, 
they lost between a third and a fourth of the population. Just gone. Including Marcus Aurelius himself. And for the most part, in this time, when one out of three, one out of four people died, guess what the people did? They panicked. Sound familiar? John Ortberg writes that there was no guidance in the writings of Homer. There were no commands from the Greek gods to care for dying people. No one in their right mind would ever put their own life at risk for someone else. That's something that only the people who follow Jesus would do. And a Greek historian wrote about how people in Athens, Greece, responded during the plagues. He wrote that they died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses where the people were simply put outside and perished because of lack of care. The bodies of the dying, they were simply heaped up on top of one another. And then the historian wrote this. He said, no fear of God or law of man had any restraining influence. People simply did what they needed to do to protect themselves. That's human nature without God. Then what happened in Greece happened again in Rome. And at the first onset of disease, they would push the people away for them to die. Throwing them in the roads. Simply walk over them like dirt. Before Christians. But there was in that world a community that remembered a man that they followed named Jesus who would reach out and touch lepers while they were still unclean and who told the disciples to go and heal the sick to be with them and not to forget them that they bore the image of Christ within them each and every person on the planet especially the sick and the Jesus people stayed when everybody else left Dionysius, a third century bishop of Alexander, wrote this. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attended to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And the church grew and grew and grew and grew. They took to heart Jesus' words. I was sick and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And as Christian communities cared for the sick and the dying and the hungry, outsiders took notice and even the pagan emperors would get onto their people because the christians were doing better than their own that's true the early church didn't have COVID 19 the early church had leprosy that was their deal and in the early centuries of the church leprosy meant isolation and death and a church father pictured here named basil he had an idea he said well hold on a minute what if we build a place to love and care for lepers we know they don't have any money. They, they can't pay for it. We know that. We'll raise the money. So the first Christians took seriously that lepers have been made in the image of God. And, in, and it's in the same way you and I have, he writes. And perhaps they even preserve the image of God better than we do. So he says, let's take care of Christ in each person we come across while there's still time. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us give Christ clothing. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor in the way we treat the sick. You know what? That was the beginning of hospitals. There were no hospitals before then. It was something that came out of the Christian church in the third century. And the council of Nyssa decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, wherever that was, there must also be a place for the caring of the sick and the poor. You were no longer allowed to build a church in hypocrisy and say that we're here to serve in Jesus' name without serving the people Jesus served. It became a requirement. So wherever you had a cathedral... You had what they called hospice. The church developed the first hospitals. We did. Even today, if you get sick, many of you are going to go to Mercy, which is Roman Catholic. 
or Baptist, which is Baptist. Uh, or, I know, confusing. Or uh, Deaconess used to be um, uh, Free Methodist, and OU used to be Presbyterian. It's like that all around the world, because that's how they were started. And in 1860, a Jesus follower uh, started the Red Cross. So wherever you see the Red Cross, you see this little thumbprint of Jesus. That's what Jesus people do. We help others when they're crying out on the battlefield or crying out at home. And what marks Christianity across the centuries is compassion and service. That's what makes us different. So the early Methodists, we started schools and health clinics and orphanages and colleges. Sunday school really was school, largely for coal miners and other poor that could not afford a private education before public schools existed. The first schools in America were in churches, largely in Methodist churches. And if you've been following along in the book, The Walk by Adam Hamilton, he writes, the early Methodists started schools and health clinics um, and orphanages and uh, daycare programs, launched ministry for the homeless, feeding programs for the hungry, job training for the unemployed, and thousands of ministries at being the presence of Christ for their communities. That's who we are. That's our history. That's what we're about. Paul kind of summed this up very clearly for the early church. He says, for we are what... God has made us, created in Christ Jesus. Why? Say it with me. For good works. Did you know that? That's why you were made. That's why you were created. For good works, to bring heaven to earth. That's why we exist, which God prepared beforehand to be our what? Way of life. Notice this is not a one-off. This is not once a quarter. This is not when it fits your schedule. This is our way of life. That all of our life is to sit in and under the reign of Christ To say, okay, God, what do you want us to do today? Because we are made, you and I, for good works. Doesn't save us. We're saved by God's grace and God reaching out. But having that been the case, we are saved for something. We're not saved for nothing and we're not saved for ourselves. We're saved for the very transformation of the world. The power of Christ that comes to live in us is to push us out for good works, which are to be our way of life. Our very way of life. Now, here's the great thing about Jesus. And that is when he asks us to do something that's for your own good. Did you know that the happiest people on earth volunteer? They serve others an average of six hours a week. By self-report, the people who are really unhappy are the people who get isolated and live for themselves. And they get depressed and very sad. If you really want to be a happier person, go help somebody. It doesn't have to be in a Christian context. Just help somebody. Help your neighbor. Help somebody down the street. You know, just help somebody. It's good for you, good for them, good for the world. So our action steps are this. First, I want to invite you to just pray because we don't do this in our own power. First, we pray, let it be with me, right? According to your word. It's a prayer that Mary prayed when she found out she was pregnant with Jesus. Okay, Holy Spirit, let it be with me according to your word, whatever you want to do. Because it has to start with you. It has to start with me, each and every one of us. We can no longer wait for somebody else to do the things of God. It's our calling. But here's the thing. You can't do that um, at your convenience. So you have to allow yourself to be interrupted. Any of y'all like to be interrupted? No. No, we don't. But if we really want to serve God, we have to be able to get on his agenda instead of ours. Which means we allow God to interrupt us and others. Because most of the time we, we interact with God through other people. But here's the warning. Serving is messy and inconvenient and requires a change in priority. It just does. One of the most confusing things to me that happens as your pastor is this. I'll have people that will join the church, and then after some time, they'll leave the church. 
And as they're leaving, I'll say, well, well can you tell me about that? And they'll say, yeah. I just never got connected. I just, I just never really connected with the church. I'm like, huh, that's so weird. Because I would, I've, normally when I have that call, it feels like I just walk out of a staff meeting where all my staff tell me, I've called everybody on the membership list and nobody is willing to help me this week. Or I found two volunteers out of a church of 600. And I'm like, now, hold on a minute. I can't get connected and I've called everybody and they don't want to help. And then I think to myself, who's lying? And the thing is, nobody really. Because what, what it is, is when you say, can you help me? What people are, are saying without saying it is, well, if it doesn't really require much of me, and I don't have to change my schedule, and it happens to work out, and I'm free at that moment, then yes, I'm available to you. That day never comes. We just got to own that. We have to choose, if the world's going to change, to say this person, other than me or my family, is so important, I'm going to change my life to go serve them at this time on this date. And regardless of what's going on, that's my first commitment this week, to go serve someone else other than me, because that's what Jesus did. And I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to show up when I say I'm going to show up. And I'm going to be there for the kids, or I'm going to be there for the adults, or I'm going to be there to serve, or I'm going to be there to cook a meal, or I'm going to be there to, to serve the mobile meals um, so that people can get a meal that are hungry, that are homebound. And we're going to say yes to that because that's more important to me than my ease of life or my job or an activity of my child or anything else because it is. We just don't like to talk about it that way. But the world's not going to change without that. And we have to decide if we want to be about that change or not. We just do. So I want to invite you to choose and commit to five acts of kindness each week. And the sermon series is always going to ask us to do five of these things. It's not even once uh, every day. It's just five a week. And that have to be a big deal. Just, you know, Jesus told this story about if you have uh, a coat and a cloak and somebody asks for it, give it to them. If you have two rolls of toilet paper and your neighbor has none, give them one. And maybe he'll give you the miracle of the toilet paper rolls. You know, just to multiply. I don't know. That would be weird. Do you imagine coming home with like having a really big toilet paper roll? Anyway. So, here's the other thing that I promised I would do with the staff. You'll look on the back of your white card. Uh, this is really important. The church can only do what the church does when you, the church, participate. It's really that simple. It really is. So I want to invite you to turn this in, each and every person, um, to think about it, um, and then turn it in. And, and all you're saying is, I'm willing to be contacted by a person on our staff this week, just by email or phone call. If you'll let us know how, we'll say, hey, you know, you said that you'd be um, willing to help with the youth ministry. What might that look like for you? Can you go to camp, or uh, do you want to be a sponsor, or uh, do you want to help do some of the administrative stuff to get ready for the mission trip? I mean, how, how might that work for you? What gifts do you have? And just talk to somebody about it. That's all we're asking so we can be in conversation. But friends, the church is you. And the staff is here to empower and equip the saints for ministry, which is you. Um, and so I invite you to do that uh, thoughtfully and prayerfully and then just see where the conversation takes you. Because all these things are important. And so I invite you to do that. Just turn it in today. And then finally, I want us to pray together. This wonderful prayer that 
um, Adam Hamilton wrote in, in the book. Let's share it together. Lord, you taught us that your glory is revealed when we, the human beings made in your image, extend your love and care for us to others. Make me aware of your nudges and give me a heart that is open to interruption when you need me. Amen. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.